welcome, welcome everybody to this week's post-episode recap of the Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 5, First of His Name. I'm Phil the Issues Guy, welcome to the broadcast this week. With me again this week is my co-host, Joe Dreads. How's it going this week, Joe? It's going great, good to see y'all. Yeah, we're really excited to talk about this week's episode. If this is your first time here, please make sure you use the comment section. Comment away anything and everything you feel about this episode this week or anything that we have to say, all the silly stuff we're talking about. Please comment away. You can also check out this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please do that as well. Now that we got all that out of the way, I'm Phil the Issues Guys. I said first of my name. Are you Joe first of your name? Are you first of your name, Joe? <laughs> But let's get right into it. This was a fun episode of Game of Thrones. A lot of stuff going around, a lot of uh, bouncing from storyline to storyline. Uh, it reminded me more of the last couple of seasons rather than slow moving on one or two things. We bounced around to like, th- to I think it was three different storylines tonight, maybe even, maybe even four. So we have a lot to talk about and, well, plenty of time to talk about it, but let's get right into it. We, we started off tonight with at the Iron Throne as we were uh, we were getting a path through dark places to King Tommen. Yes, King Tommen. He is going to become king. He is the first of his name. And the child king. The child the king. Row. Yes. Yes. And and right from the beginning we get a vibe that we're this is gonna be a better uh, better better run than with uh, Joffrey. You know? <laughs> Tommen's a Tommen's a much better guy, I, I think. I, I don't think we have to worry. I, I think Sir Pounds is safe. I'm, which I'm really happy about. I was worried about Sir Pounce for a little while. I'm glad we didn't meet Sir Pounce when Joffrey was still alive. It was almost like when Alf was alive and the Tanners had a cat and Alf's chasing around the Tanner's cat. You got to hide the cat from yeah, You knew the cat was just doomed someday. Exactly. So so when they were saying the speech for King uh, Tommen, uh, we do hear Cersei's and Tywin's voice cut through long, uh, long may he reign, which is really interesting because of the fact that without much setup, you can understand that Tommen's going to be very much a puppet to Cersei and and to Tywin, or specifically Tywin, and 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 speaking of people that want to be puppet puppeteer Tommen, we get a shot from Marjorie's perspective, looking at the king, giving him a big smile, giving him that. You remember the other night when I uh, was came to your bedroom, look, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and right in her line of vil- vision, we get beep 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 beep. Bitch alert, bitch alert. We get Cersei. (laughs) (laughs) Cersei just steps in the path. And I got to admit, this scene did not go exactly the way I expected it to play out. I expected Cersei to make her way over there and give give Marjorie the stop looking at my son type of look. But no, she she hotlined it through the room, cut through the crowd, you know, passing through like the party, like you're ignoring everybody else, pushing everyone else away. I think she punched a few uh, poor people while she was crossing through the room, kicked some people while they were down, stabbed someone in a wound you know all the fun stuff Cersei does and she oh, yeah. and she goes over and talks to Marjorie we have a conversation between Marjorie and Cersei uh your grace long may he live long and he sits to the throne like he was born to it and and Cersei's like no he wasn't born to it and uh Mar- Marjorie who who always knows what to say at the right moment like she knew what to say to Brienne when Brienne was talking about uh Rem- Renly it, she she knows how to bring. I still mourn for Joffrey too. He, he yeah. Did you see all the looks though? Everything every time Marjorie opened her mouth, Cersei gave her a nice look. Uh, you, I, I, do you realize who you're talking to? Yeah. Oh, you, the bullshit coming out of your mouth. 
She she wanted to bitch slap her. She really wanted to. Bitch. Who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> there's there's a there's Marjorie's a smart girl, but there's oh, yeah, an old is. saying amongst that goes further back than than anything in Westeros. You don't try to bullshit a bullshit artist. And in you this know. situation, it was like, young girl, I, I've been I've been at this game a lot longer than you have. Don't don't try to play me. He would have been a nightmare. She she's like, come on, girl, you you you're so happy right now. He didn't love anything. I I won't love anything as much as I love my firstborn son. But but what he did shocked me. And you you know me. You know what kind of woman I am. Do you think things shock me? I, I've seen all the Evil Dead movies in the faces of death, and they don't and they don't scare me. I watch them. I'm Cersei. Fuck that. But yep, she loved her son for who he was. She loved her son, you know? even though he shocked her. Even though he freaked yep. her out. Yep, and, there's many instances. There's. Every every mother of a monster doesn't think their son is a monster until, you know. But that's the thing. I I think what she's saying in that situation is even one step one step more than that. She's saying that I knew he was a monster. He scared the crap out of me, and and like you said, he I loved him anyways. The, yep. She knew there was nothing good about this guy, and and also you get the feeling like. She she spent so much time investing in Tommen. I mean, excuse me, investing in Joffrey that she feels out of the loop with Tommen right away. She spent so much time with the daughter and with Joffrey. I don't think she really knows Tommen, so she so she's in a panic moment right now where she's like, "I have no influence over my son. I'm not going to have the kind of influence I want." Which is the whole basis of this conversation that she's having with yep. Marjorie here. That. That she need basically th this like I said this kind of shocked me what she was saying saying uh, she said that that uh, Marjorie says he, Tommen has the chance to be the first good king ever and and Cersei's like yeah in like fifty years that there's never been a good king and what he needs is good people influencing him he needs a good queen he needs your guidance and this is when Marjorie kind of calls Cersei on her bullshit and goes wait what do you mean you're his mother you're the one that pulls the puppet strings. And, right. and and she, Yara's mom. yeah, you're going to do it. Why, why aren't you, why aren't you being the one here? That's uh that's wants to be all John Cusack from being John Malkovich with the puppets here, controlling John well, Malkovich. It's, everywhere. it's Cersei seeing exactly what's going to happen. She knows her father's going to want that anyway. You know, she knows that that's the, that the, and she even has that conversation with her father later about, about what, what alliances need to be made in this in the seven kingdoms in order for this for them to be successful? Yeah, I I agree, but this just seemed surprisingly uh, conscious and thought out for Cersei. You know, she really felt to me like uh, almost a little different in this moment that she excuse me that she doesn't always think of the long game of the long con. She's in for the immediate thrill of the moment. She doesn't think about things from from the extreme of, of at that moment realizing how much her family needs the Tyrells. I, I th it's weird. I think she's just thinking about it as I don't have influence on the king. My father is immune to my bullshit. If I kiss this girl's ass and she has influence on the king, maybe I'll have, I'll have some influence too. I think that was a big, big driving force for Cersei in that moment. And, and that... Exactly. And we talk about this stuff sometimes. It, for, to my memory, this was a little different than it was in the in the books. Probably, yeah. probably because the Tyrells are more of a force now than they are than they were in the books, and more characterization to them. So we need a little bit more of who Marjorie is and Cersei's interaction with her, trying to struggle. But this is just a precursor to 
to Tommen's reign and seeing how the power struggle is going to change at King's Landing now that Joffrey's not in charge and and doesn't have Cersei as the Jim, evil Jiminy Cricket on her on her shoulder on his shoulder on his sick little shoulder. So so after all this, uh, Marjorie kind of starts playing Cersei because she realizes her hand. She realizes she has hand on her, and she's like, "I'll call you sister," or. Or I'll call you mother. <laughs> and, and, and then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We we see these evil, like evil eyes coming from Cersei at the end of this scene, just like <sighs> staring yep, the at the camera. Just keep getting bigger. Like the daggers flying from her eyes get bigger and bigger throughout that whole conversation. Oh, oh my God, she is so upset in that moment. It's, because it's it's if you remember the quick brief interaction she had with Oberon and the barbs that they exchanged at that party a couple episodes ago, it's quite the different conversation with just as many little barbs thrown out there and a much different tone of, of the whole thing as well. You know, as much as the, uh, the, the trying to build some sort of alliance with Marjorie and everything, you know, I, I I gotta say, Cersei's so conniving. It's, it's, it's about more than that's probably going to be about getting close enough to her to, you know, than rather rather being close to Tommen, it's getting close enough to her to find out secrets to uh, her secrets to, you know, to get her out of the picture altogether. Yeah, to have any sort of power, exactly, because you got to figure that Cersei has some sort of evil conniving plan. There's she, another angle there. There's another from... angle. She's not that smart. She doesn't. She doesn't realize things so much. We do have a question on. Uh... Oh, she she's that smart. She's that smart. She uh she was smart enough to know. Oh. Ed just came to me and said this. Got to kill him. Well, not kill him. She didn't want him dead, but got to arrest him. Got to mm-hmm. do it. I, I think she's Fine, she's smart, but she... Do you think she's the smartest or the... If you were ranking the Lannisters in order of intelligence, what would your what would the power rankings be? Uh, Tyrion number one, Tywin, and then who's smart? Who's the smarter um, twin? I don't know if I go Tyrion one, Tywin. I think in a few years maybe Tyrion Tywin, but I gotta say, we'll we'll give Grandpa a little bit more, um, a little bit more his due for his age and being around and being a king's hand to many different kings and and. Uh, then I'm going to say maybe, and maybe, of course, Tywin, Tyrion. Yeah, the, we come to our question, maybe, James. Uh, uh, Lancel Lannister. Is, does, do we go Lancel, then then down, 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 down? No, you can't go Lancel. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, but there might be other Lannisters that we don't know of that, of course, are <laughs> smarter than the let's twins. Get, let's get to the basic question. Who's 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 the bigger dumbass, Jamie or Cersei? Uh, that's... They both shine so bright in the moon, you know. <laughs> so. Speaking of someone that shines bright in the moon, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Jamie. Jamie. Jamie's the bigger dumbass. Jamie's the bigger He's dumbass. Made decisions his whole life based on. Ah, uh, yeah, Jamie's a bigger dumbass. Based on bullshit alle- allegiances to King. You, so you agree with Tywin? You've you've served two uh, ridiculous kings that didn't d- didn't deserve your service. And what have you done? You've wasted your life. Uh, so you're so your team, your major team, Tywin. When it comes down yeah. to it, well, and and here's the thing: as the point made out by uh by Katie is as you know, she's the one that leads Jamie around. Cersei's the one that leads Jamie around by his penis. Here, little boy, come on. Oh. And that's only just changing now because of the cold shoulder. In, fa- in fairness, it's it's. Rapiness. I would say, in fairness, I would. Say, I'm ignoring that. In fairness, I would say it's about sixty percent heart and forty percent penis with Jamie with Cersei. I'd say yeah. a, I'd say a lot of it's heart. Let's let's be let's be real. 
Speaking of my heart and speaking of a shining light, we go to uh, Daenerys Stormborn of House Targaryen, the Khaleesi, and, uh, and, and her 17 other Cassius Clay's nicknames, as we pointed out last week. <laughs> and, uh, and we fi- and her looks like a dragon and stings like a... <laughs> stings like a, some, a Dothraki. A whip. <laughs> or a whip, okay. D- whip or Dothraki work. And uh, <laughs> so we're off to Danny with and the in group with uh, Barristan, not Dario and Jorah, and they find out that Joffrey is dead at his wedding. And Dario and the second sons took the Marine uh, Marinese Navy without asking. They got ninety three ships with about ninety three hundred men, and. And Khaleesi, uh, uh, Daenerys, Danny wants to know, I feel like I have to say 17 names every time I say her name. Like, we can't just say, oh, Danny. No, you have to say, like, at least Mother of Dragons, Danny. Khaleesi, Daenerys, Stormborn, yeah. Mother of Dragons. Uh, Keep going. There's, there's, slaves, there's more. Old Valeria. Yeah, I think you're about there. That's that's enough. It's like it's like it's like <sighs> your intelligence on Game of Thrones is like mathematicians with knowing pi. How many names of Daenerys can you say? <laughs> I know it to the sixth digit. Yeah, I know, I know Daenerys to the sixth four. digit. Everybody in the comment five. section that's listening at 3. this point. 1415. Yeah, show your Daenerys uh, Targaryen uh, pie skills and, and and list out as many Daenerys names. First one that does it wins a hug. <laughs> <laughs> so so she's asking uh, she's asking Barristan and Jorah and kind of ignoring Dario in the back or not Dario in the background, asking them about uh, if this is if these are enough men to storm King's Landing. We have eight. 8,000 unsullied, uh, 2,000 of the Second Sons, and now about 9,000 of the guys that the Second Sons just looted from uh, the Marinese. And uh, Barristan's like, yeah, yeah, go to the back gate. Where That was Stannis' plan. There's a, there's a, there's an, a little, uh, there's some place that's loose, some place that's easy access to. Uh, we'll go to the back gate. We'll surprise them. You have dragons. We'll, we'll, we'll go there. We'll, the people will flock to you. You're the real leader. But Jorah's like, eh, I don't know about that. He says it might work, but but maybe I don't know. He, and then five seconds later, he's saying, "Well, we could always just go do that." So, do you think it's just that he felt like he needed to disagree with Barristan? Do you think he started a bit. getting to yeah. a little peace struggle, penis struggle? There's a sword fight going on there. A little sword fight. That's there's definitely that that feeling because yeah. now he's not just he's he's got a struggle for advice for you know sexiness against Dario, and now. <laughs> For he, brains against sell me. Well, maybe if it was old Dario, the, this, the dad this, and the mate, like he's like the suitor, and there's already a dad and mate there, so he's a suitor. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's definitely a suitor. So, uh, so Jorah also mentioned earlier in the scene that when everyone was still in the room, that there are problems in Astapor and there are problems in Ancat. What is it? Unkai. 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 There's re- there's revolts. Uh, bad people have taken charge, similar to the way that if governments get overthrown, the most powerful thugs that are left, because she basically in the other cities didn't take away any of the uh, the evil shit that was going on in the city. She just was like, oh, the slaves are free. You're free. <laughs> yep. And didn't really do anything about it and just kind of left. So it just so turned- she left with who wanted to go and left every and she left uh, somebody in charge in one city. Who just basically said, "Okay, now I'm going to be king," and and went right back to the way it was. And then he left a small council in charge in another city. And again, they just said, "Okay, we're just going to go back to the way it was." She's gone. Bye bye. Yep. Thanks for coming. And, and a whole bunch of people who were rich before were dead, and a whole bunch of 
people were like, oh, well, I guess I'm rich now. <laughs> nouveau riche, right. Thank so you. a whole new class in these cities, but. Thank you, Mother of Dragons. Thank you. Right, really exactly. It. Again, I ask, speaking of which, where are the fucking dragons? Uh, I'm not, I don't want to talk too much about it, but where, where are the They're dragons? Just fly, dude, you know what? Dragons, you know where the dragons are? Wherever the hell the fucking dragons want to be. Okay, so you don't tell the dragon where to be. She does. She's their mother, right? right. She doesn't tell them where to be. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, and they're in adolescence now too, so they're especially not telling. She's not telling them anything, aside from good dragon. <laughs> don't burn my army down. <laughs> please stay away from. Please stay away from the unsullied yeah, what, dragon. What do you think they're eating though? They got to be. They're scavenging. Like. Yeah. It takes a lot to feed a dragon, I would imagine. I'm sure all the I'm sure all the sheep. Are, so what farms are they raiding? <laughs> she, she's she's getting barbecue chicken and uh, stuff every night. So so basically, uh, she sends everyone out of the room and uh, and just to Jorah. And she talks to Jorah. She says she says you were right. I didn't listen to you. How can I rule Slavers Bay? How can I rule Westeros if I can't rule Slavers Bay? I can't leave. Uh, and then this is where, like Joe mentioned, uh, he kind of goes back on what he said in the scene in the moment before when Barristan was in the room. He's like, well, you could just leave and go face off against this bastard king that no one believes is the king. Yeah. He's just a kid. What would that make her? That would make her just like this awful person that came, killed a whole bunch of people, pillaged the, the area and left yep. and left it in ruins for new people just to spring up and continue. Like, she's right. She can't do that. She can't just leave she's got to set something up she's got to set up some sort of legacy and and power structure to make these places the way she wanted them to be or she won't be able to rule in westeros absolutely it's it's important that she's thinking this way because it sets apart what you might have thought from the end of last week with maybe the power went to her head a little bit and she's not looking at the big picture. This shows that she is because she's very conscious of the fact that how is she supposed to rule anything if she can't rule this area she can't rule seven kingdoms. She needs, she needs better shit on her resume. You know, she needs, she needs more experience. She's good for this job. She's qualified for this job. She had the college training, but she, she hasn't had the real world work experience. And, and that's ultimately what she's, uh, what she's saying here that she's going to stay here. She's going to stay in Slaver's Bay and fix all the wrongdoings here and make things right before she crosses the sea. Because ultimately right now she has the boats. She has the boats to cross now. She has an army strong enough to at least put up a fight at King's Landing. And especially what uh, Barristan was saying is right. After the war for the War of the Five Kings, it the the crown is at the weakest point it is they're at that like post war everyone's drinking it up right now if suddenly Daenerys showed up at the back gates with three dragons even in adolescence and an ar and an army of about 20,000 people with the unsullied and so would be flat. The, yeah they, they yeah they would yeah they would destroy king's landing right now i think i don't think king's landing could deal with it <clears throat> there's none there's, there's, no, there's not even an army there there's no real army in king's landing at the moment because there's no immediate threat stannis has somewhat of an army but most of it got scattered after the blackwater so he's kind of just held up on the island it's pretty impregnable dragonstone there so you know what's he gonna do yeah, they're in they're in bad shape. So right. I, I think Daenerys made the right plan here to kind of build up more of her, more of her name, play in the minor leagues for a little while before she crosses it, before she comes to the show. So I think this is a smart plan on Daenerys's part. So we go from Daenerys to Littlefinger and Sansa arriving near the Vale. I got to admit, uh, I love Littlefinger. He's one of my favorite characters, and I especially love. 
uh, just love the idea and like everything behind him. But someone pointed out the, in a message board that I'm a part of this website called Beamly that you could uh, check out for show for shows uh, accompaniments for shows while you're watching programs. Great stuff. But someone pointed out that they're kind of annoyed by Littlefinger's voice. And since they talked about it, it, it it's now I feel now I hear it all the time. It's like when someone uh, starts making fun of Kurt Cobain's squeak in his voice when he sings. And next thing I know, I, I hear it every time. And I'm like, oh, oh isn't there like a how I met your mother thing about that? Maybe. Yeah. It's like once you once you hear. Yeah. Shattering the shattering the glass. Yeah. Once the glass is shattered, you can't not see it. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and Littlefinger's voice and how he enunciates. Uh, well, when you when you rewatch uh, Shanghai Nights, I think you'll see that it's just his voice. That's that's this guy. Everything he's in, he has that same kind of. Yeah, slither, yeah, slithery kind of like. Yeah, I mean, it's not that I don't like it completely. I just notice it all the time. And yeah. and what it, my point was, when he arrives at the scene, the first thing he says to Sansa, essentially, he's trying to tell her to hide herself. I couldn't understand what the hell he said. I rewound it like four times, and I couldn't make out exactly what he says to her. But I, I think he says something like, "Hide yourself." You. Yeah, and then she puts her cloak up. She puts this big, over cloak hood on so that which you know because she looks a lot she's supposed to look a lot like caitlin did when she was young and caitlin and the lady of the veil here are sisters so but for whatever it's worth let's let's get into this uh because i don't People may have seen her in court and know what she looks like mm. you never know who was there and who wasn't there on whatever day this is one of those things that's very much changed from the books just from a subtle point because they don't want to put the poor actress through shit uh, when she arrives in the veil in the books, and I, and I don't want to talk too much about this stuff, but it is worth mentioning that she, I believe she cuts her hair and colors her hair a different color and goes through more of a transformation. Uh, yep. In in the show, what they're playing it off, and, and Littlefinger kind of tries to play it off as no one, people don't, no one around here knows what you look like. They just know stories about you. So right. so it's not going to matter what if people see you. In the books, they make it a big deal about him forcing her immediately to change her appearance, and right. and that is something. Someone pointed that out to me that that was a that was a change, and that was definitely definitely a definitely and a it, change. And it's a big change too because that whole making her change her appearance is something that's going to force her even even more so out of her comfort zone it's something it's something that it's a used to like reprogram her mind to make her even more submissive to make her lose who she was and become who she want he wants her to be it's a very important step it's a complete loss of identity she can't look in the mirror and even see the girl she was when she was at winterfell or even at king's landing when yep. she was dealing with all this stuff but by taking that off it's going to be a, a a little bit more of a change to to her character and how things unfold and stuff so yeah and it, so it sets it up that it's more of a emotional emotional pressure that she's under rather than an emotional and physical pressure of being roughed up and pushed around a little bit in this sense right. but so little finger they arrive near the veil and and you get the first look at the bloody gate and we have little finger talking about how uh, one man can destroy 10,000 and Excuse me, and talking about how the mountains protect the Eyrie and how no one could penetrate this uh, this this bloody gate. And yeah, we get some good backstory in the books about the veil. Yeah, about the veil and some of the battles fought to to take it and everything was pretty cool. But 
And and also we've been to the Vale earlier in the series, but we got a much better visual coming from the gate to see the big tower and see as they were walking. This was a very good visual on the show. Yeah. Amazing perspective, amazing. I was like, wow, breathtaking. I paused it because it just looked it's great. It's supposed to be extremely hard to get up into that tower too, like a, like a harrowing climb or a, or like a, a like a, a you have to ride like a pulley thing to get almost like an <laughs> elevator and you know, my oxes and stuff to get up into this thing. <laughs> and little, we hinted at this a couple of weeks ago, but Littlefinger also talks about how controlling the Erie is because of the way it's all set up. It's just a mine for money. And anyone that's that's set up there can quickly gain a lot of power really fast. And you're also protected and insulated and can, can insulate with a very small force, essentially why uh, Liza Aaron is such a crazy, bat crazy, and how you're you're almost scared when you go in that area because they have complete control of that section because of all the power that 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 the area that that they, they possess. So after this, we uh, well, you, all, all you you have to walk through this valley, this this valley of cliffs on both sides, where these armored men just rain down arrows, stones. Yep, and we, and we see them as they're walking <laughs> in. It just doesn't you're look in good. Bombs, everything, just whatever <laughs> comes, and you you're, you're going to be three three people wide. Baelish says it's a pretty narrow. That's like a slaughterhouse right there. Yeah, that's nothing you can do about that. That's like Helm's Deep stuff. You know, you that's, that's if you make it through. Remember tough. all the Tyrion's uh, wild men? Yep. The, the wild, the I forget what the ta- Tonk or I forget what the guy's name was. The guys that he gave all the axes and shields to. Big, big John Stud. Yeah. Big John Stud and his friends. Yeah. T- the guys, Ty- you and your your mountain men, the, the crew from the, uh, the extras from Braveheart. so we so we see uh liza good good baddie crazy liza and i want to call him john jr but uh robin right his name's robin is that what they were saying robin Robin. or robert or robin robin yeah i think i think it might be robert but they were pronouncing it like robin and i could i'm sure i'll be corrected in the comments if uh for whatever his name is but uh i swore they were saying robin tonight and he yells he yells uncle peter and uncle peter brought him a gift a beautiful gift for a beautiful boy and uh sansa tries to uh lie about who she is and saying that she's uh peter baelish's uh niece which it was the uh which was this niece uh, uh, excuse me niece eileen i believe he said niece eileen easy for me to say uh and she goes you don't need to lie to me i know who you are uh she let my peter go and uh, i would let wouldn't let my blood die uh you're my flesh and blood call me aunt um, and then she's, and then they start getting into like shitting on the land. Well, she lets it out right then and there that she was in on it. That's a, a, a treasonous act that she knew it was going to happen, that she allowed Peter Baelish to leave the veil, knowing that she was going to be, he was going to be sneaking her out. That's a pretty, that's a pretty, uh, big thing to admit right there. And I'm pretty sure that's a deviation from the books. Yeah. It gets deeper with, uh, with the deviation in a second here. And, and it gets silly for a moment here. We get a little comedy here with a little boy with little Robin being like, Oh, they chopped your daddy's head off and they killed your mommy. Oh my God. And they killed your brothers too. Oh wow. I wanted to, they, they killed my daddy too. And I wanted to make the little man fly out the window. It's like a flash of Joffrey, isn't it? Like a, like a slightly, like a much dumber Joffrey, younger, creepier. This kid's weird. This kid's weirder oh, yeah. than almost. He was still suckling on his mom's teeth the last time we saw him. And 
And then Eliza's the like, Red Rom kid. <laughs> he does kind of look like the Red Rom kid. And and then she's like, did the imp force himself on on you? And she's like, no, 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 no. And uh, and uh, and then she says to Robin, don't call. Well, she tries to stick up for the imp a little bit there. No, she does. Like, she does. She says, she says he's a, you know, he wasn't a bad man. He didn't force himself on me. He didn't want to marry me. They made him just as much as they made me. So it was very. Uh, no, she tried. It was a little, it was touching because you know that she had a connect, a little connection with with um with Tyrion that she knew that he was just as much of a a throwaway to these people as she is. Yeah, and she know and she knows and she probably feels on some level a little bad for sitting there and leaving him with all this shit, knowing what he's in for right now, right. and and knowing that he's at the he's at the the place you don't want to be in Westeros at the dick end of uh, of a little finger fucking. Basically, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. You know, that, that, that's the best way I can say it. So so uh, she she tells little Robin to not call Sansa cous, cousin and go off and and tuck her right. into bed. This kid's going to keep his mouth shut about calling her Sansa and cousin and everything. He's so he, the kid's so daft that. That's that's a pretty big task. It just and it shows exactly what kind of level the mother's on too. By, you know, what what exactly she thinks the, of the son as to what the reality of who this kid really is. But you got to figure the kind of the kind of control she has over her son. He probably doesn't have access to a lot of people. She's probably just saying that almost as lip service to him. Like, to, and no, I think she really believes it too. I think there's a she's. I don't know. It's it's tough to tell because what what comes out of the scene with her and Sansa is yeah, a that's what that, that's what like I'm saying. There's more going on in the back yeah. of her head than she lets on. I too. think it has to do with that as well. It has it's to do with crazy the, shit. Has to do with the whole uh, wanting to wed them as as we hint at later. So uh, so Sansa and uh, and the little kid, the little uh, John Junior Robin, they take off, and we get Littlefinger and Liza talking alone. And Liza wants to get married. She can't. She can't get enough of the little finger. She's already all. They've already consummated the marriage. They've already. She's already seen the little finger, and it's, I guess it's not that little. And she. She wants more. She's. She's. She's had. She's heard enough about Sansa. She knows that he was in love with her mother, and she's supposed to look like Catelyn when Catelyn was her age. And he's stalling the marriage for whatever reason. And she's done waiting. They had their wedding night, and she's done things that what wife would do. And right. and then it just comes out of nowhere. She just says it in passing. Littlefinger told her to poison John Aaron's cup. She yep. did it. She did it all. And, and to send the letter to Caitlin. And to send to get the whole death of all the Starks thing in motion. Basically to start the whole thing. And and yeah, that that that's a thing now. That 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 that's apparently this was all Lady Liza's this is all fault. revenge for what we find out of, again brought up that uh that how Brent Brendan Brendan the oldest Stark, Stark yeah. um almost killed him when he challenged her challenged him for her hand in marriage because she was promised to because Caitlin was promised to the older Stark rather than than him because he loved her and then we and then we cut over to uh sansa in bed who can't get comfortable oh yeah because and then 
what what a little finger does to shut her up here because she's about to be like i could tell everybody that you're at fault for this so little finger uh who automatically knows how to assess every situation correctly uh knows that this is the moment to be like okay fine we're gonna get married right now tonight bring people in bring everybody in we're gonna get married tonight we need witnesses you guys come on come on in guards and then liza tells the guards listen guys you know i just want to warn you Tonight, when my husband makes love to me, I'm going to scream like the worst porno movie you've ever seen in your life. Like Debbie does the whole Dallas Cowboy football team. I think team. I spaced out for the end of that conversation. I didn't. I don't remember hearing that. I think I, I was comment. I was just so in shock. I think I text messaged you at that point yeah, about the oh my mom fuck being God, dropped. Yeah. That it was a plot between her and him to kill John Aaron Roberts, the King of the Hand at the time to Robert King Robert Baratheon the hand of the king right the king of the hand I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe they released that information that matter of factly is almost similar to what they did last week with uh Lady Marge Lady uh Tyrell uh Elena Tyrell uh, grandma over there admitting being responsibility for for the Joffrey situation right. she just kind of right. says it was, it. it was a big bomb I don't think that's ever disclosed in the books I don't think so either not to my memory and again it's been a while since I've read and or listened so I don't remember specific things and those the way they're written it's just it's easy to forget if you haven't read multiple occasions so, so it's interesting to watch the show and see how different things occur so so it, it's interesting it was just a really interesting moment I was like oh my god really really she just said this and mm-hmm. uh, and then then we go to Sansa in bed that's that can't get comfortable because she hears Liza screaming in uh in sex as we know that now they are married. So from here we go to a Tywin and Cersei scene, and uh, and Tywin she's she's basically telling Tywin the plan that what she talked to Lady Mar what she talked to Marjorie about that uh, how long before the two of them can get married. And she says when Tommen can mourn for his brother and when Marjorie can mourn, you know, a fortnight, that should be enough. Okay, cool, cool. And, and Tywin's hilarious in this scene. Tywin is freaking hilarious here. He's like, he's like, okay, no jugglers, no dwarfs, and and no small children, di- you know, no small animals. No 75 course meal. We're not spending $100 million on this wedding too. Yeah. We're already in for a pound with this bank. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. He says the crown, like he does not say the Lannisters he says the crown he's trying to he doesn't want any of this to come out of the Lannister banks or from Lannisport in the Lannis in the Lannister gold but he wants the Tyrells to marry his his grandsons who are Baratheons the crown you know and they even say that when they crowned him they they left out the Lannister name which they didn't when Joffrey was still king and when Joffrey was getting married they said Joffrey of the Lannister, the Baratheon and Lannisters. They did not say that about Tommen when he was getting crowned at the beginning. They only said Tommen of House Baratheon. Interesting. Interesting. Which is very different. And then he has this very blatant conversation with with um, Cersei about oh the crown owes this ton of money, a fortune to the to the bank, the Bravosi Bank. Yep. And you don't the Iron Bank. You don't not pay them back. You just don't. <laughs> and, and he says, but the but the Tyrells, we're going to get them to invest in the crown and, and take a bunch of this off of. Uh, yeah, but he doesn't say the Lannisters are. <laughs> no, he says he basically then he asks her how long until she's going to marry Loris. And uh, she's like a fortnight, too. I'll do it. And he's like, I know you don't like her. Fortnight he, after my son marries. Right. And he's like, 
and and she's like uh, i he's like i know you didn't like you don't like him and and then he's like i didn't like robert he was always pat me on the back i don't like that i don't like when people I touch didn't me like your last husband either so yeah, i didn't like that he patted me on the back yeah you could i couldn't trust him because of that yeah and uh and he says that the tyrells are their are their only true rival and he said we need to keep them close uh robert Robert won a war and that's how they collected money. Basically, he tells Cersei, as Joe isn't saying, he tells Cersei that the Lannisters are dirt poor, that their minds have been dried up for a long time and all the money that they've been getting, he's been borrowing from uh, the Bank of Bravos. Well, well, let's point out here too that something else that he says that I don't think was in the books, which is pretty important, he says that he paid for Robert Baratheon's rebellion. Yeah, that he does say that. And that's that when he shows up at the gates to King's Landing, and this is talked about many times in the series here, that he was supposed to be the savior yep. of King's Landing when he showed For up. For the Targaryens. He opened, they... he sacked the city. Yep. And so if anybody had known that he was backing Robert Baratheon with money, he never would have been able to show up at the gates like that. So that's a big tell that he had something very big to do with the the Robert rebellion and the overthrowing of the Targaryens where he was once even hand of the King to Targaryen and then to go to a point of overthrowing them, something really messed up had to have happened in his life. Don't you think? I think this is just one of those moments where we're supposed to learn that Tywin Lannister, if anything big happens in Westeros, Tywin Lannister has his hand in it. Or there, Peter Baelish. Or yeah. Or Peter Baelish. Yeah. Exactly. And, <laughs> and this goes to something I was, or Varys. It's it's really I mentioned this before. Varys oh, just knows about it. He doesn't have a finger in it. Maybe he, just... <laughs> yeah, the spider just knows. Speaking of which, another episode that I missed a little Varys sighting. No Varys. <laughs> yeah, he has a nose, not a finger in it, <laughs> not even a little one. <laughs> so so he uh, he talks about how he's dirt poor and he needs the Tyrell to save the crown's ass, as Joe is mentioning, and then Cersei somehow change the su- changes the subject to Tyrion and uh and Tywin says I know you're building a case against Tyrion and that's your that's your that's your job as a mother and as someone that cares about your son and as the queen regent but I can't talk to you about this I'm a judge and uh she goes well you know you basically disowned Jamie cuz he wouldn't uh start a family and move to Casterly Rock uh, what do you think you should do to Tyrion? Because Tyrion killed my son. What do you think? What? What, and Tyrion? She goes, yeah, I don't want to. Okay, we won't talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it. And this <laughs> this goes to something we were talking about last week. I think Cersei thinks kind of towards what I was saying, that she thinks that somehow Tywin's going to try to find a way to weasel Tyrion out of this, to not die. That that maybe it's sending him to the black, maybe it's keeping him locked up forever in uh, in a cushy tower somewhere, whatever. I, I think Cersei thinks that like that Tyrion's going to or that Tywin's going to protect Tyrion somehow, and she oh. just wants to make she just wants to make sure that that's not going to happen. Of course, he's been getting like he knows she's wanted him dead forever. Tywin's kind of wanted him dead or gone forever, but Tywin also wants to save face. And Tywin knows that Tyrion, for all his faults and shortcomings, no pun, um, <laughs> yeah, sure. knows that he's a, a good guy and knows that he didn't kill Joffrey. Yeah. So I think it's a safe bet that she's thinking 
Tywin's going to do for Tyrion what she tried to do for Ed Stark and make him take the black and just be gone that way, yeah. forever cast up at the wall to freeze his little ass off. But she doesn't want that. She wants him dead. Yeah, she wants him dead. She, if, she, she She's absolutely convinced, nobody can tell her otherwise, that Tyrion did not kill Joffrey. Just to connect, it goes to what Tyrion was saying last week, that even if someone presented the evidence and threw themselves at the court and said, I did it, uh, she'd still think he did it. And still... Correct. Put him, make him responsible for him. Part of this also stems from how she feels about what he did to her daughter and sent her off to Dorne and that whole vibe and just everything. And when it comes down to it again, like I was saying last week, I think Tywin's feeling about the whole situation is if he wanted to kill him, he would have drowned him in the river the day he killed his wife. Tywin just wants him out of the picture. He just doesn't want to deal with him anymore. Cersei wants him dead for killing her mother wants him dead and has never for ne- not that Tywin forgives him but Tywin's just like he's a Lannister he doesn't I don't want him dead I just want him away from me to never deal with him I never want to deal with this guy again whereas Cersei does specifically want him dead so here we go off to another to a bat crazy scene we get a uh, this was one of my favorite scenes of the episode we go to Sansa and Liza and uh, Sansa's eating lemon cakes and I guess we find out also that Catelyn Stark liked the lemon cake, too. She used to eat food all the time, and even Catelyn Stark got a little fat. Mm-hmm. And the, the daddy Tully had to put her on a diet because she was the oldest daughter, and she was set to marry uh, to marry uh, Brandon Stark. And uh, and Sansa starts being a little worried about her weight, and, and Liza's like, no, no, honey, go and eat, you know. Uh, and then she's like, where did you get the lemons? I didn't know they grew lemons out here at the Erie. And she's like, oh, Peter brought them back for you because he knows how much you love lemon cakes. He cares for you. And uh, you're very lucky. And right at this point, suddenly the music kicks in like we're in a horror movie. And <laughs> dun, 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 we suddenly get the eerie music that's no pun intended there. The eerie music. And and oh, he's ha- why do you think he cares about you? And Sansa's like, I'm half telling. Oh, yeah, he's sweet. You know, uh, you know, <laughs> do you know that Brandon? Do you know who your uncle Brandon almost killed him? Killed my lovely one? And now, and do you know what Peter does with his whores? Do you know all the awful things that he does with his whores in the in the veil? Do you know what he do? Are you pregnant? Are you pregnant with Peter's baby? Are you doing it? She turned into like crazy Glenn Close, uh, bringing up the dead cat to Michael Douglas. Like totally psycho, psycho crazy. Every time. Every time she gets something nice done for her, something awful, awful happens immediately after. It's unreal. Like, uh, just everything. Anytime, just right down to the lemon cakes. When life gives you lemon cakes, Sansa, be sure it's going to go sour in your mouth. Oh, my God. Poor girl. She just deals with everything. Everything bad happens to her. She's like the drummer from Spinal Tap. And if anyone who hasn't seen Spinal Tap, (laughs) in Spinal Tap, every time they get a drummer, he dies from mysterious causes. She's even out of the drummer from Def Leppard, right? (laughs) Oh, but at least she can play drums with her one hand. Oh, fair enough. Oh Jesus! So it's awful, awful. And and that should satisfy all the people out there that think we that think we're so harsh on that I just poor want, girl. I just wanted to hug her, and she's like, "No, no, I'm a terrible liar. I didn't. Middle finger never touched me. I never saw him naked. I never did anything. I'm still a virgin. You can check." And Liza's like, "I'll lift up your skirt and look. You know, I'll know. I'll know oh, if yeah. you're a virgin." Well, she did a great job with that scene. She they I, both I, did. I it. it didn't feel like crocodile tears. It didn't feel like she was really trying 
trying to get that out there. And I felt the emotion from her. I was very happy with her performance in that scene. It's, it, it, even even the aunt, she was, wow, she is such, she does batshit crazy really well. Yeah, really crazy. Almost as good as the the sister in uh, Why I Married an Axe Murderer. I'm going to kill you, you little son of a bitch. She, <laughs> she, she, she went super crazy. It, it was, and I think the music just adds so much emotion to that scene. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, the actress that plays Sansa played, Played, uh, did that perfectly and played the fear and just had that out of the frying pan into the fire look on her face this whole oh, yeah. time because because I think when she get when she gets there <laughs> not again yeah and then and then she drops the bomb don't worry you're gonna make a great little lady of the veil for my Robin <laughs> the music just stops like a like a record zip it's like zzz. oh don't worry <laughs> don't cry don't worry and it's poor poor girl you just wanted to give that poor poor little girl a hug and be like i'm sorry it's not gonna go because i'm sure when she showed up at the airy her first thought was or when she got on the ship with little finger she's like i'm screwed little fingers here and then she met her aunt and everything seemed normal as well, you said not only i'm screwed but she just killed the man that just saved me from king's landing yep. had him murdered right in front of me right <sighs> dantos Oh God! So the first thing she sees freed from King's Landing is a murder. The guy that freed her from King's Landing. So as <laughs> oh yeah, it's just a bad day for Sansa. She, yeah, she... with little fingers, little snarky little yeah, Sansa, you're just as pretty as your mother. <laughs> this is just <laughs> I know, this that's is... A horrible impersonation. No, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I was just I'm trying to think of like some movie when someone has a really bad day, like like a Die Hard movie when it's like Die Hard with a uh, Die Hard Sansa with a vengeance or something. It's just like everything goes bad for this poor girl. It's it's Mr. Bean. It's just it's just sad. <laughs> oh, speaking of a Mr. Bean moment, we go from here to uh, Brienne and Pod, where we get some bumbly Mr. Bean Pod moments showing his best. Uh, oh God, and it's such a great com- uh, contrast. Such a those are later. Don't we get a, a hound and uh? I know Br- we get Brienne and ha- the and Podrick first, and uh, he's having trouble. He hasn't been on a horse for a while. She says he should have. Uh, she should have. He should have stayed back at King's Landing. It's not going to be a pleasant journey. They're going to head to Castle Black and find Jon Snow, and uh, and Brienne's like, leave. I don't need a squire. And he's like, all knights have squires. And she's like, I'm not a knight. And he's like, I took an oath to you. I'm not going to go away that easy, easy. And because he doesn't want her to tell people he's a bad squire. He cares about that because if you get on the Westerosian, Westerosian internet and you post in uh, on, uh, on Blackwater list and you post some bad things about Podrick being a uh, being a bad squire, he might not get a job in the future. So he wants to make sure he uh, he gets positive, positive, uh Positive the reviews, bulletin board, yeah, right. on the Wester Westerosian bulletin board. So after well, it's important, it's it's really important to him. He's grown up in a culture. You've got to remember his the Payne family. It, that's uh, Ilan Payne is supposed to be the guy that's training um, training Jamie Lannister to fight left-handed. It ends up being Braun because yeah, because the actor yeah comment on our on one of our episodes that the actor has cancer, but. And and so isn't doing it. Hopefully he gets better. Um, so he comes from a family that's high in court. They may not be this like super lordly family, but the Payne family's known, and and he wants to do good by his family, and he's earned earned a reputation. 
and he's not going to just abandon her. What would that say? They, and she asked him, why won't, what, you know, what would they say? They'd say I was a bad squire. Absolutely. <laughs> like it's important to me. And if he wants to be a knight, he has to be a good squire. That's the way you get it. You got to prove yourself. Oh, and I also want to remind everyone what you're listening to. You listen to the or Issues bye. Program uh, recaps, uh, post-episode issues. If you want to comment away, please comment away in this video and uh, tell us what you thought of this episode, what, whatever we're saying, what you think about what we're talking about. You can also call in and leave a voicemail if you want to do that at 781-910-8509, and we can play it on the next week's show. And if you want to comment in this uh, video right now, we can answer questions at the end and uh, or answer your questions next week when we get some voice mails so please reach out to us and be a part of the show as well we want you guys to be a part of stuff as much as us so uh so share the fun share the fun so anyways we go to from here we go back to the hound and aria and uh aria's gone oh no you were right you're absolutely right i totally missed an aria in the hound scene yeah, going to sleep uh, scene. it was they're on their way to bed because I, I thought as soon as they went right i thought they did a cut right to um, yeah, it was before Sansa in bed and uh, before Sansa, right. before uh, we're getting into the Sansa likes the lemon cake scene. We have Arya saying her names of the people that she wants to uh, die. And the hound interrupts her by saying, shut up. <laughs> and uh, she can't sleep till she says well, the name. He said it, too, right after she says the mountain. That's when he interrupts her. Yeah. And says, she's like, up. you know, what are you going to? Well, you know, he's like, oh, and if he, if he shows up tonight, don't worry, I'll I'll help you kill him. Yeah. And she was like, really? If he showed up, what would you really do if he showed up? He'd tell and him he, to shut he, the fuck he, up. No, he says, I'll tell him to shut the fuck up so I can get some sleep. Right. <laughs> which is which was very kind of telling, too. So and he says, what are you going to say? Every person's name in Westeros and no, only the people she's going to kill. And she's and he goes, fine, finish. And she goes, I have one last uh, he'll, just one more name. name. Motherfucking. Fuck you. And she says it. The hound. Right. She she rolls over too. she says it. he looks at her. He gives her that little look. But she has no problem saying it. Yeah, I'm going to kill you, too. <laughs> I kill you too. I kill. I've already scratched a few names off of my list. <laughs> so, you know? so we skipped over a few. Of this I skipped back. So back to the Hamdanaria here. And oh, she, yeah, and she doesn't know that Joffrey's dead. She lists Joffrey there too. Yep. Thank you. Good call. Yeah, she doesn't. She lists know. Joffrey in that list. So she, the news hasn't gotten to her that the uh, about the purple wedding. The, the last news that they've gotten from anybody was at the tavern, which was right after the purple wedding and Joffrey was still alive at that point. Yeah, that was right after they're talking they're talking more about what happened. It's they're still having an outcome of the red wedding at that point. We haven't gone to purple yet. We haven't right. gone to Plaid or Ludicrous Speed yet either. Right. No <laughs> <laughs> The Ludicrous Speed wedding. We haven't gotten to that one yet. The Schwartz is with you, my friend. The so so uh, when the Hound wakes up, Arya's gone. He's looking everywhere for her. But she's practicing her uh, her sword dancing kata moves that Mr. Miyagi taught her to beat Bad Boy in Karate Kid Part 3 dance, yep. with uh, Needle. Oh, pretty, too. She had some good footwork, yeah, some she's, good she's hand work. Get, she's getting good. Uh, he'd be proud of her. Uh, and she's practicing with Needle. And... Uh, and the hound shows up and he's like, what the hell's going on? What the hell are you doing? Are you, what, you're practicing? What are you doing practicing? You're practicing to die? Because you're not going to kill anybody that way. It's not, you're dancing. You want to dress? You want a pretty dress, you little girl? You want to, he's just being such a dick to her. It's awesome. Well, she, oh, this, I really, I really loved this scene. Because, you know, she says, he's like, ah, uh, what are you practicing? You can't, you practicing fighting. And he, she says, no, I'm not practicing fighting. I'm water dancing. And he's like, you know, you're dancing. You might as well be dead. Yeah. And uh, and he's like, who taught you that shit? Right. 
and she's like the greatest swordsman that had ever lived. Uriel First sword of Bravos. And he's like, I Bravos. I bet his hair was greasy. I bet he I bet he was a greasy Greasy as Joffrey's cunt, was yeah, it? <laughs> gre- exactly. I was just about to say greasy as Joffrey's cunt. And uh and uh, and and he's and he's like, what happened to him? And, and she's like, well, Mary Trunt killed him. And and then he just started laughing. He's like, Mary Trunt, that kid was a fucking piss. That's a pizza. And he killed the greatest swordsman that ever lived. Oh, and, yeah, and she, who didn't have a sword at the time? Yeah, and only then he had a stick. And then he starts cracking up. He's like, because she, she said that she's like, he only had a sword. And she's like, he's like, oh, the greatest. But he took out the, the guards. He took out both the guards that were with Mary Trent before before and. Got a couple of good blows in on I hear him you, to but... his ground with just a wooden sword and no armor on. But enough time for her to get away and to escape King's Landing. But I, I do. This is one thing I agree. Like I think he, I think I know he doesn't fight. It's without his honor. Before he faced off against the big knight against uh, Trunt, there he should have picked up one of the swords in the ground. It couldn't. Yeah. Have, it, it wouldn't it's have hurt a, him. It's a completely different sword, though. It's a completely different. Those bastard swords are completely different than the type of sword he's fighting with as the first sword of, of Bravos. No, you know, I, I hear you. I hear. So it's a cutlass to a broadsword. It's a and a guy in armor. So, it's not going to and you see that immediately you see that when when, the when he's yeah. like go ahead show me show me what you yeah. what you've give learned me, show give me, me your what best your shot sort of bravos has taught you you little twat yeah give me and your so best starts, shot and she goes after him and pokes him right in the right in the armor and that's what he says. He says, yeah and that's what Marin Trent had that your little first sword didn't have was a big sword and a suit of armor Fuck Bravos. And he smacks her right across the face. And boom, sends her flying across, yeah. across the sand. It was pretty. And says, fuck awful. Bravos. <laughs> Bye, little Ari. Poor girl. No, but it's it's an important lesson. She just taught he she was just taught something extremely important. She she tried. She tried. She thought she was about to kill him. She thought she had her chance. She thought he was gonna let him do it. And she went for it. And he realized that. He was like, oh shit. She actually put some pressure behind that. She tried to poke through my armor because she does want to kill him. And he remembered that he said that la- that she said that last night. And the lesson she learned was, oh, I his th- face doesn't have armor. Yeah, exactly. Have armor. It's know your know your enemy's weak points, and and that's one that's the one lesson she seems to forget. Because I remember when she's in training, he says that to her: know the weak points around the armor. She just in rage kind of stabs him face on if she really wanted to kill him there she would have stabbed him up in the neck she would have put it right through his neck that bam dead guy so we go to a very interesting scene with uh which so that's different from the book too by the way yeah it's a this whole a lot this whole episode the whole last couple episodes is completely different yeah yeah lots of variations lots of new stuff for anybody who's read it's all very exciting for uh, those of us who have read the book yeah it's awesome stuff is different is very different it's a, it's really it's really makes it exciting to see, especially when it's serving the themes of the story just as well, just in a slightly different imagined way. I like that, and I like I like that you're getting more nods to what I hope to be the future of the series with what we saw last week and more things that we saw this week uh, of things that we're going to see in further in later books of being hinted early on because they have to hint at things that that are going to happen at the end of the series in television, just a different medium. So it's really exciting. We're, we're at a really exciting time to be a game of Thrones fan. It's, 
it's it's super pumped because everything you don't know what's going to happen book readers are on edge and some of the television readers that are like fuck you book readers can finally look at them and be like haha you guys don't know what's going to happen either it makes it it makes it interesting and and Woohoo! Awesome! What a wicked party! Yeah, we're all generally at the same place, and uh, so so here we go. We go to uh, the Red Viper over on, and uh, Cersei approaches him, and he's writing letters to Dorne. She wants to uh, take a walk through the gardens that uh, that Lady Elena hates so much, and uh, he can't refuse a royal escort because I think well, he's just thinking about getting in her pants. He's he doesn't care. He hates Lannister, but she has a pulse, so uh, over on likes her, and. Uh, and he's a poet, and she talks about, and she's being strangely very polite and nice in this whole scene, very loving and very, I mean, real, but not disrespectful to him, and and that's very important. It's the most respectful in this scene. A complete scene. contrast to the last time we saw these two interact with each other. And it's the same thing with Marjorie too. I think in both cases, she's realizing she's starting to have some knowledge of her position. And realizing she needs other people and needs to not always, the, the, again, I hate to say a cliche, but you catch more flies with honey than you do with whatever that other stuff. That well, who's the third person on the on the, who's the third person that's judging? Isn't it Marjorie's father? Yeah, is it Marjorie's father? Oh, it is. I think it's Marjorie's father, Cersei's father, and Oberon. Interesting. Interesting. So that's also so, another motive for why she was all nicey nice to, to both of them. To both of them, why she was so nicey nice about marrying uh, the Tyrell boy there, and she was yep. nicer to Tywin than she usually is too. She's yep. kissing she everybody nice to Tyrell. She's kissing everybody's okay, Tyrell. okay. And now we, she's she's all I miss my daughter. My son was just taken from me. My yeah. daughter I haven't seen in a year. You know that's a setup to make to make him feel bad for her. But so that he I think kills Tyrion. I think the important thing in the scene, though, is Oberon has eight kids. Eight kids. He's reaching old dirty bastard levels. He's he's doing good. He's like he's like he, has, he didn't say eight kids. He said I have eight daughters. Eight daughters. Jesus. Christ. That's all they were talking. They weren't talking about sons. They oh were talking God. about daughters. How many kids does Oberon have? Jesus. He's had they sex love with their love in the city of the sand. That's awesome. If I, if I had to live in anywhere in Westeros, it would definitely be Dorne. Oh, the best wine. <laughs> Yeah, the horniest women. Yeah, it's just a cool vibe. Just a cool laid back children. vibe. Yeah, everyone's equal. It's it, Dorne seems to be the place. It seems to be the place. They probably have the best music there. There's probably the best weed growing in Dorne. You know, whatever. So so we go on. We go on here, and we're gonna have a trial. And uh, and and she is like, and, she, and she's like, yeah, yeah. I know we're gonna have a trial, but I but forget about the trial for a second. I haven't seen my daughter the last time. Will you give my daughter a gift? And she shows, uh, she shows, shows him a boat that she wants very to give to the daughter. Boat. A very pretty very boat. Pretty boat. Yeah. Looked like it looked fast too. Yeah. Tell, tell her mom. Tell her her mom misses her very much. And uh, and you really get a feeling in that scene that that Oberon felt for her. You know, he really felt for her. He like he connected to her because she says she says something about how with all my power I couldn't I couldn't help uh, my son. And with all your power being this great warrior, you couldn't do anything to help your sister. Your sister, who was married to Prince Rhaegar, the Mad King's son. Exactly. And, and got killed, by, killed and raped by the mountain. As powerful yeah. as Oberon is, he couldn't do anything to help his sister. And Cersei's trying to use this as a connection. She's trying to... Which, which he also hammers home, too, when he says, you know, we don't hurt little girls in Dorne. Because if you remember, he his his uh niece and nephew his sister and Rhaegar's kids 
were also killed by the mountain. They had their little heads dashed against the wall. So, and that was during the sack of King's Landing that was led by Tywin Lannister. And and the big moment, the big line in that that's important is Cersei saying, with all your power, with with having power, you still don't have enough power to be able to protect your loved ones. And uh, that's that's like a superhero theme. That's like that's that's like a that's like a Spider-Man thing. No matter how much power, I can't save my girlfriends. Uh, they get pushed off, you know. They die. They whatever. Spider- poor Spider-Man. He <laughs> tries to reassure her a little bit that nothing's going <laughs> bad is going to happen to Mercilla and Dorne. It's not Mercilla's fault. Whatever happened in King's Landing before she was born, mm-hmm. you know. And Cersei says, "Oh well, they hurt little girls everywhere." Yeah, they hurt hurt little girls everywhere. So we go to Podrick after this, cooking a rabbit, and he's burning down the camp because because <laughs> like like some idiot. Remember when we went camping once with uh, one of my exes that that forgot didn't forgot that she needed to boil water before cooking pasta. You know, she, she's like. I, She's like, I, she's like, oh my god! You realize you you mean you gotta boil water before you cook raviolis? Yes, and you, <laughs> you have to. Uh, and I had to pretend that stuff was delicious. But so Podrick's trying to do the same, and he's trying to cook a rabbit without. Oh, with, he doesn't even skin it. He doesn't it's skin so the rabbit. All its insides in there. He's cooking oh. it with the fur. He forgot to skin the damn thing. And <laughs> and she and he she's like, have you ever cooked anything before? He's like, no, milady, I haven't cooked anything before. And he's just losing status and status. She's like, what'd you do? And he's like, I basically just poured wine all the time. And, yeah, yeah. and then she's like, did you ever kill anybody? And did you ever do anything with combat? And he's like, yes, I stabbed. Well, did he, did he, she start taking off her armor first, I think. Yes, yes. And and, and she, he, and like, he immediately like stopped because he, he knew he was useless for the cooking. They had just discussed that. And so he went to go run over to start taking off her armor and she shrugs him off and says, no, I've been doing this by myself for yeah, years. I don't need your Get help. Your hands off me, you know, and again, it's basically like, why are you here? You shouldn't be here. This isn't for you. You, you can't do anything. You can't cook. You can't do anything. You've, been, you've never even killed anyone. <laughs> you killed someone. You, and then you can't, goes, yeah, I killed someone. You can't run. You can't jump. Why are you even trying to play the game? You suck. <laughs> <laughs> you suck, Bill Murray. You can't play in Space Jam. Get the hell out of here. Sorry. Uh, I just saw Space Jam again. So <laughs> I have all the silliest stuff in my mind tonight. So, <laughs> so Pod, but then she asks him, has he ever done anything with combat? And that's where he tells her the story of the Blackwater and stabbing a Kingsguard guy through the back of the head or through the back with a spear when he was trying to kill Tyrion. To save, Tyr- to save Tyrion's life. You have to save Tyrion's and, life. And don't forget that it's the, the guy that he does kill is a king's a king's guard. Yep. There's only seven of those badasses and they're all supposed to be pretty badass or kind of bought their way in. There's always that little like bought your way in. Especially or, in Joffrey's group. Especially in right, Joffrey's group. But for the most part, they're supposed to be the elite of the elite. You know, Jamie Lannister, the elite of the elite, Sir Baron, uh, Sir, yeah, yeah, Barristan. Sir uh, Selmy. Yeah, Barristan. That's who's off now with Daenerys. He was the head of the King's the King's Guard. You know, like, these are badasses. There's no one to be trifled with that Podrick Payne. A mere squire. A mere squire, yeah. A mere squire to a dwarf, to the hand of the king, but still a dwarf, uh, and who is also an imp. You know, not even like a knight squire, almost like a joke kind of wasn't really a prestigious position as much as it was like a he's he's kind of slow. We're going to give him to Tyrion. But the story, 
But the story means something to Brienne. She can really feel with it. She understands. She feels like she understands him, and he's feeling exactly all who he's he, who he is right now. He he's not going to leave her. It is an honor to be with her. It, it he is she. He thinks of her as a knight. He he's he thinks of his job as an important thing. As we saw earlier, they would think I was a bad squire. I'm not going to leave you. If I left now, I'd be bad. Yeah. And she realizes all this. It comes down. It's a very sweet scene. It's very touching. You, there's finally a connection between the two of them. And she gives him one. She she allows him to take off her armor. She's like, oh, yep. get over here. It's okay. Come take off my armor. You, I'll help you out. And she and she makes him feel needed. And I think by by the end of all this, she's going to be really happy that he's with her. I hope so. I hope so, too. So we, so we go, I, I think, I think she must, I think nothing but good things can happen for these two. Oh yeah. Cause, cause nothing, especially but, in George R. R. Martin's world, yeah. nothing bad could possibly happen that, to these two upstanding so citizens. Yeah. Of these two actually really good people. I'm sure nothing but good things are going to happen. Nothing but good's going to come for these people. So speaking of speaking of good people, uh, we get into an entire. This could be interesting because this is entirely new. Uh, we go to Locke, and we see Locke scouting out the people at Craster's Keep, and he sees where Brandon and Hordor and uh, and Mira and Jojen are. I felt I had to actually look up those people's names because I kept calling them the Reeds. So uh, so I just want to make sure that I'm uh, that I know who, I do know who they are. So so Jojen had enough stuff to do tonight that I gave a shit about him enough to want to learn his name instead of just thinking he's some John Jonathan Brandeis lookalike kid. That that I'm like just I don't give a crap about you. Go do a movie with Chuck Norris or something. So. So Locke's scouting out Craster's Keep, and he sees Bran and Hordor and the Reeds. And Bran uh, thinks he hears something, but he, and he sees footprints. And the Reed guy says, he basically sums it up in saying, you mustn't let anything stop you. I know you get out of here. I know you get to the giant tree, and I've seen it, and I know we're all going to be there. So you need to get there no matter what happens with you, happens to us. You need to get there. That's it. And while this is going on, while they're having this conversation in the background, they do some. Uh, we're getting the visual of the weir tree in the back behind Bran, who's yep. tied up up against a log in this like shack room at Craster's Keep. But uh, because Joe Jen at the time is in this is in this trance, he's in this very trippy trance. He's he's seeing something, and he's seeing more than just what's in front of him. He's seeing more than just Bran. He sees a weirwood tree that they're trying to travel to, and he's really trying to impress upon Bran. No matter what happens to any of us, the one thing you need to make sure you do is to continue north. If I'm not with you or if she's not with you, the only reason why any of us are here is for you to continue north. you got to stop everything. Nothing else matters except for you to continue north. And while and then he's, he's uh, looking at his hand while he's talking to him, and his hand is on fire too, and it's... He alludes to something pretty... Now, do you like the way Game of Thrones does that stuff? I mean, Game of Thrones is famously known, at least for the people, general people that are into the show, and for King's Landing and all the stuff that happens at King's Landing. Do you think the show does a good job at conveying the visions and the magic type stuff? Do you enjoy the way the show does does that? Is it how you would I want think, it? I think they do a decent job. I think there's... I was uh, the some of the visualizations of some of the places I was a little disappointed with. Like the House of the Undying, I didn't really like that much. Yeah, the House of the Undying was a little was a little disappointing, and I thought like Westeros itself was supposed to be much bigger and more like 
25,000 people are supposed to live in Winterfell and it never felt that big to me. Mm-hmm. I think that has to they do with but convey the, convey the scale of how big Westeros is supposed to be. I think that has cases. to do with budgets and the fact that it's a TV show, not like a right. huge budget exactly. type thing. And and that being said, I really do enjoy what they do do. This scene that they did with Joe Jen talking to Bran and the visualizations that were going on behind, I thought was a great way to show us that it wasn't just a conversation between Joe Jen and Bran. It was a conversation between a seer and another seer slash warg slash whatever the frick brand is going to be <laughs> or is in that, the john um, connor of this world right and this was something that isn't in the book that particular scene because none of this crap to keep crap is in the book i think that's funny the way jojen said that though because it was almost like that was almost he said that to the camera it was almost like an aside where he's just basically like you know brand none of this matters none of this matters you're getting north this is all just bullshit right. i've already seen it like and, and essentially he says that he says forget i read about the books this. none of it matters he jojen it. read the books he he knows brand <laughs> he knows this isn't in the books he's like he's like i know this is just an interruption in my story yeah we know we know it goes like he he, he rented space balls the movie and he watched the head he knows what yeah, happens okay. <laughs> we're in now now this is now it's just what's <laughs> Sorry, I just threw like 27 <laughs> references in a second. So, I know, two of them, two of them in one uh... Without even trying, that was totally by accident, Spaceball references. So I guess it's it has to do with the day, it being May the 4th be with you. you so uh, you so we go back with Locke, and uh, and Locke tells uh, Jon Snow and the men he brought from the Night's oh, Watch. Oh, I got to tell you, I love the addition, too, of the uh, picture frame. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the Game of Thrones picture frame. Yeah, yeah, I was... I was I was thinking about doing like an extra monitor. I was thinking about doing that when I got a, a better wide wide angle camera lens. So so Locke comes back and he tells them that uh, yeah, top budget here, top budget here, people. Garage sale. Nice. No, it's it's a good touch. It's fantastic. <laughs> pictures of them there. So Locke back. Locke comes back and he tells. Uh, you should put our logo up in that. Too. It is. It, it's in the mixture. I'll point to oh, it next time I see it. You. He says. You, he says. Uh, there's eleven men. They're already. They're all drunk. There's no guards they don't really care and the leader's name is carl he's a good fighter he's good with knives he's like salato he's good with knives stay clear of the hut to the back there's some bad dogs back there and you want to stay away from there so he's trying to keep them away from where the reeds and and brandon are because i guess they they're not waiting on this uh Locke's gonna make his move so right we go to Carl, and uh, Carl's grabbing Mira, and uh, we hear Bran yelling, please get off her, as they're stripping her. Well, they, they also mention how quiet he is, too, coming back. He says, wow, you, you really are quiet, you know, because that's how he, he's, he's not even a member of the Blackwatch yet. He hasn't said it, taken his oath. He said he was going to. I don't, I don't think we saw him actually take his oath, so, but no, they no. did call him a brother. No, he didn't. Ta- he didn't take his oath yet, or maybe he did. Maybe he did off screen because he just didn't see it off because because it, it doesn't matter because the oath is a because bu- he made a bullshit oath. He crossed his fingers and his toes when he took that oath. So right. so we go like we said to Mira getting uh, tied up and they're gonna strip her and rape her and they're begging him to stop. Carl says she's got pretty hair, high born hair, blah blah blah. It's just the typical rape. Uh, yeah, you're very rape, pretty. Rape, uh, if you didn't murder, know, thief and rape. Yeah. Rape. Yeah. This, rape, uh. this is just going bad and. Uh, he can see things uh, and then uh, Jojen interrupts he says I've got the sight I can see things that haven't happened yet and he says oh have you seen what I'm going to do with your sister 
and uh, and <laughs> what they're gonna do to your sister? Yeah, what they, and then what I'm gonna do to her again? And then he goes, he goes, no, I seen that you're gonna die tonight. You're gonna die in a bloody burn with snow falling all over you. And uh, right at that point, we get a call from the out from the outside that the Night's Watch is attacking. They're here. They're, they're here. here. And the we, English are oh the, yeah, I was just about to do a little Paul Revere there. The English are coming. Side note: this guy that plays this this real jerk off here, Crastus Keep. He's also in uh, that new series on AMC, Turn. He's like this real asshole British general, too. He does this real asshole character really, really well. And I saw him just recently, like two days ago, in um, Pacific Rim, that Charlie Hunnam oh, and, yeah. uh, Donkey Kong movie that came out. Yeah, the uh, Ron Perlman movie, if, uh, if yeah. anyone's wondering. <laughs> I'm going to miss talking about Sons of Anarchy and all the Donkey Kong references when we get right. to that. And he was, he was in that, and he played a, a real nerdy, nerdy scientist type. Good range. I, I, I really like him. I'm enjoying his performance in Game of Thrones a lot. Nice. A lot. Yes. So uh so 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 snow kicks in and we get the uh we got a really cool action scene with uh Jon Snow kicking major ass and and Locke kicking some ass a nice battle as uh Locke separates from the battle and goes towards where Brandon and the rest of the group are. He goes in there and he goes uh is Jon with you or Brandon says is Jon with you and he go and he just he goes are you Brandon Stark and Brandon kind of smartly zips his lip and goes why do you want to know my name? Well, he the cat was out of the bag immediately. He goes, "Oh, is John with you?" He's like, "Oh, that's Bran." But he <laughs> but he still cut his leg to make sure. He still he still like he still did the litmus test. It's like checking to see if it's a founder. When you know it's a founder, you check the blood to see if it changes into it. Sorry, it's a Deep yeah. Space Nine reference. But yeah. but he still was like when Brandon shut his lips for a second, he didn't know for sure that because they were all down on the ground. So he cut his leg and he said, "Oh, cripple boy, you're Brandon Stark, and you're gonna go for a little ride." And he grabs him and starts to bring him out for a ride. As Jojen says, "Do it, Brandon. Do it." And Brandon, he does. He uh, he he mind melds. He Vulcan Vulcan mind melds with Hod he jumps Hodor right into Hodor. And I think we had a comment on our our video from last week. One of our viewers predicted this. Yeah, I was hoping that it was going to happen, and it did. Congratulations, you win the prize. Yep, you, you win the prize, the prediction prize. You win the prediction prize. We don't have a prize for you yet, but we will one day. <laughs> and uh, and he, he it's a it's a thumb up. Yeah, thumbs up. Ding, ding, ding. Congratulations for being the smartest one in the comment chain this week. Little finger. Yeah. And uh, and uh, yeah, he 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 chokes his freaking. He chokes him out. He chokes out Locke. He rips his throat out. Oh yeah, he's, he's choking. He's he's like choking him with one hand, and then takes his other hand and just like breaks, almost rips his head off. Yeah. And. Like, and then he jumps out of poor Hodor, and Hodor looks at the scene like, oh, my God, what did I do? I'd never hurt anybody. Poor Hodor. Yeah, he's not a killer. He got that's stabbed last he, week, yeah, and now he's forced to be a killer. something horrific. How could Brandon do that? How could Brandon right. do that? How could he do he that? He had to do it. It was do that or die. He could have controlled the horse. <laughs> well, I think Hodor realized, like, Hodor got over it pretty quick. Bran snapped him out of it. Hodor, that, get over here and cut me. That's cut because me. he's a simpleton. He doesn't cut, remember cut the ropes anything. off of me. He's like, he's, like a, he's like a cat that forgets from five seconds. You swat a cat down, he jumps back up. Hodor's a simpleton, as Jon Snow put it last week. So, uh, so after this, uh, Bran sees Jon Snow. It's kind of what we predicted was going to happen, something along these lines. He sees Jon. He starts yelling out to him. Jon can't hear him. And Jojen comes, comes and saves the day after Hodor broke them out. And he goes, you can't see Jon. 
You can't talk to John. You know why? Because I listened to Phil and Joe's post-episode issue show, and they said if you talk to John, John's going to take you back to Castle Black, and he won't let you continue on your mission. And <laughs> and he listened to us, and because uh, because he's smart, and yep. uh, that's what that's what happened. He couldn't. He says we have to go let Summer out. They actually they actually had to reshoot those scenes this week after watching our cast. Yeah, it's true. That's so. a, that's that's a very true story. And he says we need to uh, we need to let su- <laughs> let summer out. But by letting summer out, we also know who else they let out. They, yep. Uh, they must have let out Ghost as well. Which I'm jumping Ghost. to something. Well, we don't see summer, do we? Summer doesn't show up. Just no. I think they don't do this scene, so we'll have the uh, giveaway at the end when when we see Ghost. So they because if they show us uh, them getting summer, we'll see. We, they'd see them. They'd see them release Ghost too, and then we just you know it, it would give away. Right, that's a more important reunion is the is yeah. the reunion with Ghost and John than summer with Bran. With Bran, yeah, no big deal. We're gonna see that a lot. And, uh, and and for everybody out there who forgets, Summer and Ghost are are brothers as well, found in the same litter in season one. So so they so even though they were in prison, they probably were psyched to have some well some some one on one time from cell to cell, you know, smelling each other and getting and remembering remembering the good old days of being back in Winterfell. So we get our we get our one on one battle. We get our. We get our one-on-one battle between John facing off with Carl, and uh, Carl's like, "You're gonna bring me back for trial," and and I mean, I could get into what they say to each other, but basically, they just have a uh, a knockdown, dragout uh, fight, and uh, and John basically loses. He he gets his ass kicked by this guy. It shows how good of a fighter this dude is, and he's about to kill John, and one of Craster's daughters stabs him in the shoulder from behind. Uh, and he turns around to be like, "Bitch, what are you doing to me? What are you trying to do? I'm gonna, ki- I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you." And and right as he's about to like choke her out, uh, John stabs him from the back, and we get a visual of the sword coming right at, coming right through right the mouth, through his head, right through his head. You get the feeling there for a second. He's not just gonna kill John. He's gonna just cut off his hand, and we're gonna be left with uh, John just like Jamie, handless and useless at the at the wall. Oh, that would be that would be a sad story. That that would be a lot of depression. Yeah, that that'd be that'd be sad. I wouldn't want to watch that, that was, show. That was great. It was really fun great to see uh, see that sword come poking out of his mouth. Yeah, great, great, great visual, and uh, and skull fucked, <laughs> skull fucked with a sword. And he asked her if so she... hard, my sword's gonna come popping out the back of your mouth, bitch. And she <sighs> she asks him to come uh, to come to come with them and they go out and and they said there were 11 of them where's the last guy and uh they talk about how they lost four or five brothers four brothers and then they find Locke and they said they lost five brothers and they they and john's a little freaked out he's like how the hell did this guy die this is why you don't poke the lion in the cage at the zoo (laughs) so so after this uh we get the last guy running away and because he did poke the lion or the dire wolf here yeah Boy. <laughs> quick, quick aside. Uh, Joe was once at the zoo, and he was uh, banging on the on the uh, cage of a of a gorilla. And I didn't bang on the cage. Yeah, you did. You were banging on the cage. I don't want to get too into this. You were banging on the cage, and the gorilla just I was ra- just standing there, just ran and bongo drum the the. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. The 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 gorilla. The we were having a touching a touching moment. If you mean by bonded one to rip you to shreds and uh, <laughs> and, and spin, grab you by your dreadlocks and spin you around like a uh, like a kite. I almost uh, dropped a load in my pants. I really oh, did. That's scary. Shit out of me. And this guy, just as scary, uh, even worse. Ghost tracks him down and rips him to shreds. And sure. and oh uh, gosh, it was really awesome. And it was such a cute puppy moment. And and just at that point, Jon Snow, right after that, looks out uh, looks out the the door of Craster's Keep as he's piling up all the dead bodies. And who comes wandering through the woods to come out? It is Ghost, and we get an amazing reunion. I like to watch this scene again in slow motion with like really happy music. Dun dun, puppy. Um, we, get the, <laughs> yep. we get the lick of the face. Uh, we get a great reunion. Oh, puppy, he missed his boy. And, oh, he did miss him. And then all Craster's daughters, he goes, um, why don't you come back with us to the Night's Watch? We'll find jobs for you. And, and the daughters are like, no, we got raped by a bunch of Night's Watch people. We got raped by Craster's. We don't trust anybody. And then John's like, hey, you guys want to stay here at Craster's Keep? Like, no one wants to stay here. And they go, no, burn the place down. And they burn the place down. And then we get like a moment with them watching that's almost like Daryl and Beth watching the uh, house burn at the end of uh, the Walking Dead episode. And we get yep. them watching the house burn. And uh, and they watch it. They watch it all. They watch everything burn down. That's our end of our episode with... Uh, with uh, Jon Snow being victorious in this completely unique storyline, completely created by the show, that I loved. I thought it was really awesome for Jon Snow progression, and I loved the way that they set up the whole uh, almost meeting between Bran and Jon. I thought that was that was incredible. They didn't yep. they didn't make they made it even more, they didn't just do the same thing they did before. They made it they were within eye shot. Uh, jo- uh, Bran actually got to see him, which was important and important yeah, to he him. He stayed exactly where he was and started yelling out for him, but Jojen talked him out of it. You know, said, you know, if you, if you, he's going to take you back, I'll take you back. So he made a, he made, right, he made a decision, which was, um, it really showed that a, a character growth in Bran, that it was about more than just, you know, he was on a, he's on a mission. He's on, he knows he has something very important to do on his own that has nothing to do with what other people are, or has everything to do with what everybody else is up to. But there are bigger things afoot, and he knows that. Okay, so so, so here we are. Now we got a couple of questions from a different site that I that I uh, want someone to uh, to address. Uh, Diana Adams says this is so far from the book. Cersei never uh, said offers about her kids to Oberon. Or had any civil conversations with Marjorie? Yeah, we talked about that a bit. No, she didn't. It was definitely set up a little bit different. I think it was set up to show that Cersei's a little bit more aware of the situations. And everything was a little little different. I just think we're playing a different game yes. here. It's a different Game of Thrones. Yep, she's definitely calculating. And it's a deviation. It's She's very focused on getting Tyrion put to death. And that's what she wants to happen. That's exactly what she's going for. So she's going to... You know, sweet talk Marjorie, sweet talk Oberon. You know, there's a lot of things going on in King's Landing. Even you, you got to think, you get the feeling of the way the books are written, and even the way they do the show is that even though this we see certain things happening, you know, there's many other things going on. Baelish has been doing all of these things behind the scene that we haven't heard about or haven't seen, setting up Sansa's escape and yep. the poisoning of Joffrey and all this which happens in the book too, except 
you never see it there either. So there's still things going on in this world that it, you don't see, and the things that our main characters do that we don't know about, and we're getting a little bit of that in the series. Part, with the biggest problem with the the difference between the books and the in the uh, in the movie or the the show is that the books are from characters' perspectives, where Correct. where the show is uh, a standard narrative that's coming that's seeing things from the wider perspective. So it makes sense that when you're hearing things from other people's perspectives, there, there's a wonderful thing. If you haven't had a chance to do it, because I don't own Blu-rays, so I can't get a chance to watch this. But if you uh, check out on DVD on uh, YouTube, if you search uh, Blu-ray extras for seasons one and two, uh, someone has posted them. You can hear a lot of backstory about each of the families, and it, and it tells a lot of the history and tells different people telling the history and telling the same story and telling it slightly different. So for anyone that hasn't read the books that wants some of the book backstory and not to be spoiled and you can get some of the his history behind it, those things can be very important because it's characters from the show reading reading parts of chapters from the book. So it can That's be, awesome. It, I want to check that it's out. It's really cool. Definitely definitely check that out. Got a couple more questions or a couple more comments. This um, one, well, well, I'm going to say, I'm going to ask Phil if you can try to find that or I'll try to find that, we'll try to link it in the comment section below. For no, absolutely. Later. Absolutely. We will definitely do that. And uh, you've got to assume that the showrunners had an, uh, this is from Forbes, Ireland. You've got to assume that the showrunners had an end plan though, to deviate so far from the books. Only time will tell. Uh, yeah. We don't want to get too far into that because we don't want any spoilers, but uh, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And uh, one more, one more. Um, let's find it. Stupid Squire, you burned my dinner. Yep. <laughs> I I think the writers are trying to humanize Cersei. Too late. I, I don't think the writers are trying to humanize her. I think they're just trying to... I think Joe hit it on the he head perfect. I think she's just trying to cover all her... I think this is part of a bigger plan to make sure Tyrion goes down, to kiss the ass of all three judges. I don't think this is really humanizing Cersei. I think we're going to find out later that this is just Cersei being Cersei and yep, a part of a, so. part of a bigger plan. So... So I, th I think that's a good time to end, Joe. Uh, thank you very much. We will be we will be back next week to talk about more Game of Thrones, and I I will be back tomorrow night to uh, to talk a little bit of Twenty Four. I think I'll be back tomorrow night, but keep keep an eye out for when the Twenty Four cast and Joe might be joining me later on with uh, Twenty Four down the road a little bit. But uh, but but uh, we're gonna talk about a little Twenty Four. So this isn't it for post episode issues this week. There'll be, more, there'll be more, so check out the videos. If you made it this far in the video, please comment away and tell us you've made it this far. It, it means a lot, and comment away anything you thought about this episode or any questions you have. We try to respond to every single comment we can. Keep subscribing, share with your friends, do all that fun stuff. We really appreciate all the support along the way and uh, that you're listening and enjoying, what, enjoying or not enjoying what we have to say. We enjoy uh, you pointing out moments when we're wrong because... Yeah, exactly. We we it shows you're listening, and we love the show. But we we're not pretending to be experts. We're trying to be people that really love the show and want to know as much about Westeros as we can help. So anytime you guys correct us, it actually helps us out. So we appreciate all that. So yep. so follow me at I Got Issues Man. You can follow Joe at uh, at Dirty Dreddy. Dirty Locks. Dirty Locks. Yeah, like Goldie, Goldilocks, but dirtier. Like to thank the eleven people that are listening to us live right now. Thank you very much. We uh we love each and every one of you. We appreciate that. And all of you that are listening right now on Stitcher or iTunes, thank you for subscribing or or putting us in your playlists. And if you haven't done that already, you can subscribe here and here on Stitcher and iTunes. So do that. Thank you very much, everybody. We will talk to you next week.
Thank you. Good night. Good night.